I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 7 this evening. Psalm 7. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Has anybody ever heard that? Of course, everyone has heard that. We've probably taught our poor children that little motto, but does anybody believe that? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Nobody believes that. Whoever first said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, must have been deaf because words do hurt us. In fact, it's Proverbs 12, verse number 18, that says that words can be like the piercings of a sword, much worse than sticks and stones, for there are all sorts of words that can hurt us. For example, words of criticism. Someone doesn't like something about you, someone doesn't like something you've done, and so they criticize you, and that hurts. If it's not words of criticism, how about words of accusation? Someone blames you for something that happened saying it's your fault. Maybe it's your fault, maybe it's not your fault, but their accusation is painful to you. Words of criticism, words of accusation. How about words of false witness? Someone lies about you, tells an untruth about you, says something that is not true, that is infuriating and devastating at the same time. That hurts. What about words of gossip and slander? Someone defames your reputation by spreading damaging information about you. It may be true information, but it's still hurtful and harmful information to share. And we've all suffered the sting and the, the bites of words that, that hurt us more than any stick or stone. And even in this moment, you are probably already replaying in your own mind an occasion in your own life when you were hurt by another's words. And unfortunately, as it's happened in the past, it will happen again in the future. It's inevitable that you will be hurt by others' words. Charles Spurgeon explained this, and and it's printed for you there at the top of your notes. If God was slandered in Eden, the Garden of Eden, that perfect place, we shall surely be maligned in this land of sinners. Or I could add, if Jesus was slandered in this life, that perfect person, we shall surely be maligned as sinners. In fact, Jesus warned us that people will revile us and persecute us and say all kinds of evil against us falsely for his sake. So practically speaking, what do we do when we are victims of slanderous words? Spurgeon continued, the best way, it's there at the top of your notes, the best way to deal with slander is to pray about it. God will either remove it or will remove the sting from it. Our own attempts at clearing ourselves are usually failures. Be quiet and let your advocate plead your cause. That's good counsel. But while Charles Spurgeon said that, this counsel is not original with Charles Spurgeon, but rather it was demonstrated by David, the psalmist David, in Psalm 7. So from Psalm 7, I've prepared a a message titled Sticks and Stones and Slander. And I 
I think this, this will be a helpful study for us tonight. I think you'll find it to be practical and profitable for you, for I found it to be practical and profitable for me this week. And if no one else benefits from our study tonight, that's okay because God has used this in my life this week. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this occasion and opportunity we have this evening to read the Psalms, to sing the Psalms, to study the Psalms. And Lord, we so often identify with the psalmist and their experience and their circumstance because we find it to reflect our own. Lord, this evening, I pray that you'll encourage us to the testimony of David who suffered the assault of words against him. We commit our study to you in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Psalm 7 is titled, if you look there just before perhaps the designation of verse 1 in your Bible, Psalm 7 says a meditation of David, or the the Hebrew is shigeon, a meditation or a shigeon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. Now, we aren't entirely sure what the Shigion is. It's only used here in all of the Psalms. My New King James calls it a meditation. Some have suggested it should be translated a passionate psalm with strong emotion. Others believe it means to cry aloud. We can't be sure about the specific occasion that is referenced in this superscription because there's no biblical record of any contemporary enemy of David named Cush who said some words. However, we do know of one prominent enemy of David who was also a Benjaminite, and that was King Saul. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and we know that Saul was the sworn enemy of David and sought to kill David on a couple different occasions. We, we know that there were others from Saul's tribe of Benjamin that were enemies of David as well. So then it's possible, is it possible, maybe, I propose, that Cush, a Benjaminite, was a partisan with King Saul, who spoke against David as a fellow enemy of David. Maybe Cush's words against David were words of threat, or lie, or maybe slander. But in any case, Cush, the Benjaminite, spoke some words against David. Now, whoever Cush was, not to be confused with the grandson of Noah in Genesis 10, verse 6, And whatever Cush said against David, we have no record of it in the Bible, it was devastating enough for David to prepare this shigion or this meditation or this lament or this song or this prayer, enough for David to express the matter to the Lord and to ask God to plead his cause. So follow with me, Psalm 7 Beyond the superscription there, verse number one, O Lord my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. Number one in your notes, number one, trust God when others speak against you wrongly. Trust God when others speak against you wrongly. And the fact here is that Due to the words of Cush the Benjaminite, you see it there in the superscription, David's response is to declare his trust in God in the face of that persecution. And and it's curious to me how David likens the words of Cush to the tearing of a lion. 
makes me wonder if David had witnessed the, perhaps the, the attack of a lion on a little lamb as he was a shepherd boy, and, and perhaps he witnessed the flesh of a little lamb being torn when he was tending the sheep. Or perhaps is it possible that David himself suffered a flesh wound when he personally killed a lion? You remember the occasion when the Philistines were at war with Israel and David stood before King Saul in 1 Samuel 17. The young shepherd boy told King Saul this. He said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, by its mane, and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. When David caught a lion in his bare hands, taking the lion by the mane or by the beard and killed it, I wonder if the, if the lion may have snuck in a swipe at David and torn his flesh. And perhaps David suffered a, a wound there at that time and is now likening the words of Cush the Benjaminite to that very incident when a lion tore at his flesh. But the, the verbal persecution of David's enemies was like the attack of a lion. Have you ever felt verbally attacked? I'm sure you have. It's a huge problem in the home, on the job, in private, and in public. People are destructive like animals with their words. And folks, it hurts. What do you do when you, you are being torn apart by another? Well, for David, who was evidently being torn apart like a lion by the words of Cush the Benjaminite, David's first course of action was to trust God. Trust God when others speak against you wrongly. That was David's testimony in verses one and two. But what does that mean? It means this. It means, and this is very practical, it means that you leave it with God and you let him take care of it. You say, okay, but I need to make a phone call and set the record straight. Or I need to talk to so-and-so and correct the misinformation. Or I need to confront my offenders and defend myself, okay? But many of those noble efforts suggest that you aren't trusting God, but you're trying to manage the situation yourself. You've put yourself, your trust in yourself. And folks, I am very guilty of this very thing. If you attack me like a lion with your words, I want to defend myself. And I want a message to everyone else how you've attacked me to set the record straight. David says, I'll put my trust in you. I'll trust you to deliver me from those who persecute me. We need to trust God to save and deliver. Second, number two, we need to confess to God when we examine ourselves honestly. Confess to God when you examine yourself honestly. Look at verse number three. Oh Lord my God, Verse three begins in the very same way that verse one began. Oh, Lord, my God, 
In verse three, if I have done this, if there is iniquity in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me or have plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah means stop and think about that for a moment. Pause here. And David is doing some introspection in verses three to five, examining himself and allowing for the possibility that there's wrongdoing on his own part. If David is at fault in this situation, he's willing to accept the consequences. And folks, this self-awareness and this honesty and this humility can be difficult when we're under attack. And our natural impulse, at least my natural impulse, is to become defensive and defiant. You see, I can see the speck in your eye but I miss the beam in my own eye and become blind to the reality that maybe, probably not, but maybe there's some culpability on my part, even if I've been sinned against at the very same time. And so we need to lay ourselves bare before the Lord. And like David prayed in Psalm 139, Lord, search me, try me, know me, see if there's any wicked way in me. And if there is, we confess. Now, David's conclusion in this case, in Psalm 7, is that he had not provoked Cush. He had not retaliated against Cush in a sinful way. He had maintained his own integrity. Look at verse number 8. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity within me. And, and this is the prayer of one who has a clear conscience. And, and I'm inclined to believe David's innocence in this matter because there were two other occasions when David could have killed another Benjaminite, his enemy King Saul, but he didn't. Of course, we're familiar with these. The first was in 1 Samuel 24 in the cave in the wilderness in En Gedi. David could have killed his enemy, King Saul, but he didn't. The second, it's lesser known. It's an occasion in 1 Samuel 26 when David came upon Saul at night when Saul was sleeping. David took the spear and the jug of water by his head but did not kill him. And so on, upon honest examination of himself before the Lord, David had a clear conscience about this matter. He could not identify any wrongdoing on his part, but submitted himself to the Lord there in verse three. You say, okay then, what's the next step? Let me read again what Charles Spurgeon said there at the top of your notes. He says, the best way to deal with slander or with words that are spoken against you or about you The best way to deal with this is to pray about it. God will either remove it or remove the sting from it. Our own attempts at clearing ourselves are usually failures. Be quiet and let your advocate plead your cause. And so this is what David is doing, exactly what he's doing beginning in verse number six, and I'm gonna call it number three. Wait on God to judge everyone righteously. Wait on God to judge everyone righteously. And allow me to read verses 6 through 13, as was read just a moment ago. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you for their sakes. Therefore, return on high. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. 
If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. So David here is not taking matters into his own hands. David is not trying to do damage control or manage the crisis for himself. He is letting God take care of it. And I, th- I think there are at least two great New Testament texts that speak to this principle. And, and I, I don't want to simply read them to you. I want you to read them for yourselves. So go with me first. Go with me to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. This principle of of waiting on God to judge everyone righteously. Romans chapter 12, let me pick up in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Don't fight fire with fire. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Folks, it may not be possible to solve every problem or to correct every conflict. However, do what you can on your end of things. Verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourselves. But rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. There's no room for retribution, for getting even, for demanding your pound of flesh. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, this is not a pain point of getting even. I I used to think that this was describing raining down fire on my enemy's head, right? But that's in fact not what it is. Rather, this is providing something that your enemy needs. Your enemy needs to carry coals on his head as a fire starter for his next meal is really the the ancient description. And one without coals of fire on their head would struggle to find their next meal. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Important, practical passage, Romans chapter 12, about how we respond to these things. There's another passage. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. Go with me there. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll pick up in verse number 19. 1 Peter 2, verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Hello, have you been there? Have you ever suffered wrongfully? You try to do the right thing before God and you get punished for it? Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? That's to be expected. Nothing special there. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was innocent, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but what did he do? He committed himself to him who judges righteously. 
Folks, this is exactly what David is doing back in Psalm 7. You can return there in Psalm 7. God, I'm sorry, David is waiting for God to judge righteously. But here's the challenge for us. We pray for God to move, to take action, to vindicate our cause, to to judge righteously. But then nothing happens. And the offender continues to offend. And the verbal abuser continues to verbally abuse. And the lion continues to attack and tear our flesh. And we get impatient. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Or is this only me? (laughs) What do we do? I I want God to wake up and do something in my defense. In fact, if you're back in in Psalm 7, that's the language in verse number 6. If you look back again to Psalm 7, verse number 6, the language is arise. And again, rise up for me. God, please render judgment for me because I am innocent and I'm being wronged here and this is not right and I want God to move. I want him to convene the court and begin the trial and make a ruling so that all the world will know that I am right, my enemy is wrong because that would be justice as far as I'm concerned. But then I wait and wait. And with the psalmist, I'm tempted to cry out, how long, O Lord? How long? Let me suggest to you that in some cases we may have to wait until eternity for the wrongs to be righted and for the record to be corrected. And folks, if that's so, it's okay. We may go to our graves with some matter unresolved or with some offense unresolved. And that's okay. And this is where our theology must anchor us. What do we believe about God? What did David believe about God? Read verse 11. This is what David believed about God. God is a just judge. And folks, that's really all we need to know. And if that's true, we can wait for our advocate to plead our cause, as Charles Spurgeon said. Because life in this world is full of injustice and there will be wrongs that we do. There will be wrongs that are done to us. There will be offense and crime and the wicked may seem to prosper at this time. But Psalm 73, Asaph, reminds us of their end. Asaph says, until I went into the presence or the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. In fact, let's keep reading Psalm 7. Let me pick up in Verse number 14, behold, the wicked bring forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. This is the image of sin as pregnancy and and birth. James 1.15 says, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And so this corruption of conception comes to a certain conclusion, there is an end. In fact, that is what David says of the wicked in verse 15. Look at verse 15. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. And and this is the principle of Galatians 6-7 which says, whatever a man sows that he will also reap. In the vernacular we might say, what goes around comes around. Or in the Eastern mysticism or Eastern religions, it's, it's what they call karma. 
It's the natural consequences of, of, of the wicked's devices. And we don't need to make war with the one who has spoken words against us. We can allow their own destructive ways to destroy them. And in fact, at this point, it's, it's rather satisfying to us to think that Cush the Benjaminite who spoke words against David is self-destructing because of his own devices. He's dug a ditch, he's fallen into his ditch. Everything has come down on his own head. And so with that, verse 17, David says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praises to the name of the Lord most high. Now at first read, this sounds like David is rejoicing in the demise of of the wicked, of his enemies who had spoken against him. The ones in in verse four and verse six were the enemies in verse nine and 14 of the the wicked. But, But we really need to read verse 17 differently. David is not celebrating the demise of the wicked, but is celebrating praising the Lord for the display of God's righteousness. We'll give verse 17 again. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. David is praising God that God's righteousness is made known in David's circumstance. And so I would offer you this, number four. Praise God when his righteousness is displayed publicly. Praise God when his righteousness is displayed publicly. Now we need to trust God when others speak against us wrongly. That's number one. Confess to God when we examine ourselves honestly. Number two, wait on God to judge everyone righteously in his time. Three, and then praise God when his righteousness is on display publicly. And this is where we have to do a a gut check with our motives. God, am I happy now about the demise of the wicked, the self-destruction of my enemy, or am I praising you, thanking you, rejoicing and celebrating in that your righteousness is on display publicly? Here's what one Bible commentator has said. The psalm closes with David extolling the Lord, not for the fact that sinners have been judged, but because the righteousness of God has been magnified. The fact that people are ensnared by their own sins and ultimately judged brings no joy to the heart of believers, but the fact that God is glorified and his righteousness exalted does cause us to praise him. And of course, we know that much of this won't occur in this life, but ultimately at the end of the the age. There, There may be someone in your life like Cush, the Benjaminites, who has spoken words against you. And those words hurt. It may be someone close to you, of your own tribe, if you will. It may be someone from another tribe, if you will. What do you do? If Charles Spurgeon were your pastor, he would tell you this, the best way to deal with slander is to pray about it. God will either remove it or remove the sting from it. Our own attempts at clearing ourselves are usually failures. Be quiet and let your advocate plead your cause. I think that's the testimony of David in Psalm 7. Let me pray. God in heaven, we bow our heads before you recognizing that you are sovereign over the affairs of man. 
And God, in your sovereignty, you allow sin and wickedness and wrong in this fallen world. But God, we entrust ourselves to you and we wait upon you to deal righteously. And God, we will accept and rejoice on the occasion that you finally right the wrongs, set the record straight, and rule and reign someday in righteousness. I pray that you would help us. Those of us with feet of clay, with hearts of stone many times, to be careful in the responses to those that attack us like lions. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.